One of our goals is to get a dialogue flowing about the stories we're telling. We're hoping that you'll join the conversation. So connect with us on social media and let us know what your thoughts are, whether you agree with what you're hearing or not. Follow us on Twitter at Cooper McKim and at WY Public Radio with the hashtag Carbon Valley Pod. Time may have passed for you, but for me, it's still a cold, foggy day at the Integrated Test Center in February of 2019. I'm stuck in audio purgatory. Can anyone hear me? A quick reminder, we heard who Jason is up against in the Carbon X Prize last episode. Jason said he wasn't intimidated, but I'm not so sure this cool, I don't care if I win demeanor is gonna last. It's a competition with millions of dollars on the line. Even though everyone sounds comfortable, the prize lead says, look, this is stressful. Hence why I'm here today, to see if that's true. For now, I'm still sitting in the main room of the ITC at a plastic table drinking coffee. It tastes not that great. Jason gets called in for his visit with the prize people. This is the moment I've been waiting for. The design review. Hey, are you available to dial into okay, we're, meeting? Okay, we're just we're just getting ready. We're just about to start here with Jason. Okay, I'm gonna forward you a Zoom link. It's been on my mind all day because the design review is when teams air their dirty laundry, where Jason can lay out the challenges his team has faced so far, to the X Prize judges, staff, and ITC folks. Some five of us are piled into a small office space with a couple folks connected on Zoom too. I'm sitting in the corner by the door, visibly out of place, holding my big ol' retro recorder. Okay, so, um, and then just so everyone's aware, we've got Cooper McGill here from... McKim. Sorry, McKim. Mm-hmm. Cooper McKim here from Wyoming Public Radio. He's going to be following uh, some of the teams. Mostly Jason. Mostly Jason. Perfect. No pressure, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> the world's watching. The world's listening. In that moment, I wonder how the other teams feel that I'm focusing on Jason in this series, if they care. Back to reality, the focus of everyone's attention is on Jason, who sits up straight, looking eager. He begins by explaining his technology. So we're a photocatalytic process. Uh, so unlike a lot of the other teams, we're, we're actually driving all the reactions from, uh, through sunlight energy. So on site with that There's some small talk about what resources are available in Gillette, the nearby city. Then Jason seamlessly transitions to the crux of his problems, I said sarcastically. And, um, it's a lot bigger of a town than I suspected. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it looks like there's a lot of resources here. You know, so I, I think the biggest bottleneck, I mean, you'll never guess. Um, so as you know, uh, we came into the contest late, so I'm just getting the fundraising piece together now. I've talked to a lot of really high-quality targets, and I'm getting a lot of wait-and-sees right now. I'm like, oh, well, that's really awesome that you're putting that system in the ground. We'll, we can't wait to see the results, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's like, well, shoot, you're going to have a system outside. We can de-risk this investment. And they're not diving at the opportunity to be that higher-risk capital source. A lot of them are know of the XPRIZE and assume that we got 500000 from XPRIZE as being a finalist, which we don't have. Um, so explaining that has been uh, a shackle a bit um, and a bit of a distraction in the conversation for us. 
Um, so, so that's my biggest, you know, if, if, if we had... It turns you know, out the fact that Jason didn't get the $500,000 that everyone else got is a problem. It's actually a big, fat, wet blanket to his progress. Obviously, if we had money in the bank, our project would be mm-hmm. going a lot faster, but I'm spending a certain amount of time in my day, um, you know, putting together um, uh, pitch decks and pitches for, for investors who... I learned Jason's been spending his time fundraising when he could be off doing project management, which he says is a strength of his, and that even fundraising isn't paying off right now. That Dimensional likely won't be able to install on time, that is, over the summer, coming in a few months. But you know what would help? Getting the money he missed out on. He seems to bring up those challenges with the $500,000 in mind. It is very clear Jason is hoping someone here will offer him the money they lost out on. Lots of pregnant pauses give that away. Like this. So, will XPRIZE find Jason the money? I'm gonna tell you in three, two... Nah, just kidding. I'll tell you later. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Carbon Valley. Following the race to develop an unlikely climate solution. I'm Cooper McKim. It's February of 2019. Money and time. It turns out nobody has either. Not the finalists, not Wyoming, and uh, not the climate. I'm sitting back at the plastic fold-out table observing, like the fake detective I always wanted to be. Finalists for this Carbon X Prize are milling around. The temperament in the room appears to have changed. The fun water cooler chat vibe seems to have disappeared, replaced instead by tension. A lot of heads down while walking to a different office and quiet side conversations. I try to catch each team and ask questions in between all these meetings to see what's going on. My assumption is that teams brought up their challenges at the design review and are now dwelling on them. So, what were those challenges? I touch base first with Gabe Falzone. Uh, yeah, I'm Gabe Falzone. Who's with the team out of California called CO2 Concrete. He's a bespectacled and shy PhD student, wearing a button-down with floppy, blondish hair. It turns out money is indeed a big challenge for them. If we had funding to do the demonstration initially, we could have just jumped in. But, uh... It's that it was taken a while, so that's pushed off, pushed us off to getting to where we are now. If you missed that, Gabe basically said their lack of funds have forced them behind schedule, which is notable given they got the $500,000 that Jason missed out on, and it's still not enough. Gabe says you need a lot more than that to scale up. I kept perusing the room and asked other teams, what's up? Carbon Capture Machine said their biggest challenge is fundraising, too. Sebastian Peter with Breathe, the quirky professor. Yep, he needs to raise more money to afford the demonstration he wants to build. Uh, okay, all right. So we have a lot of women's struggles, particularly the finance. He said the next few weeks will define if they can get to Wyoming on time in the next few months. It depends on if some investors actually come through. Sebastian gives me an example of how these meetings go. Then I met an investor, and uh, 
this guy i mean um, uh, spoke to me and sebastian i mean your technology is good it's if it is going to be i mean successful you are going to be a billionaire but i cannot invest that because of you know the technical difficulty for investing a an asian team particularly he mentioned asian team not even indian team in other words investors recognize their promise but still aren't coming through i start to do more research about this industry i wonder are they struggling because this is an accelerated timeline or is everyone in this whole industry facing problems i soon learn oh yeah money is an industry wide problem in fact it may be holding back the entire carbon capture utilization industry from progressing faster i start to wonder why aren't more investors putting money into this well david alenowitz is one of the few investors who is putting money behind carbon capture utilization even for those that are out in the marketplace that are doing well there's a shortage of capital simply because there aren't a lot of capital providers who put money into this David is a middle-aged guy with well-coiffed, thick dark hair and kind of leans forward when he talks. To me, it seems to be in kind of an anxious, expectant way like I do when I have a point to make. He's president and founder of an investment firm called Zero Carbon Partners. I learned that without more money, carbon capture utilization or frankly carbon capture writ large just isn't going to develop into a functioning viable industry. One carbon capture advocate said trillions of dollars may have to start flowing in to be relevant. in the climate conversation. Just for carbon capture utilization though, I heard it would take in the tens of billions of dollars. Still a lot. But there have already been generous government contributions and definitely some private investment. But the money flowing now is nowhere close to enough. If you're a software company or you're in social media or something like that, there's billions of dollars of capital or tens of billions of dollars of capital. If you're in hard tech, it's it's in the sort of tens of millions if that or the single millions and these companies you know really struggle to raise that capital that's not exactly a reassuring thing to hear if you're a wyoming leader who might just break a hip running to make wyoming a hotspot for this potential industry all in hopes it would make enough money to offset the cost of a coal plant and keep them open here's my question though how many of these things exist by these things i mean any operation that captures carbon and could be associated with coal well that's a hard question my friend thank you for asking after tirelessly working for your benefit i have some answers well if we're talking carbon capture that's actually connected to coal-fired plants there are only two in the entire world both captured carbon in order to produce more oil. One of them in Texas is actually run by a sponsor of the Carbon X Prize, the power provider NRG Energy. Its coal plant called Petronova described itself as the future of coal, but actually had to shut down due to low oil prices. Two isn't great either way. I also learn it's just not cheap. I find out adding carbon capture say to a coal plant would increase the cost of electricity significantly with estimates ranging from a 30% increase to 200%. An economist tells me that's not great given coal plants are already considered uncompetitive. So, that's where retrofitting a coal plant is at. But that's not the only kind of tech folks imagine could help a coal plant. 
There's also carbon capture utilization. Ones like Jason's or Sebastian's that could theoretically set up next to a plant and pay for its emissions. Are there any like that making money? Of course, there's enhanced oil recovery, which just pulls more oil out of the ground. That's technically considered utilization. But what about other products? Ones that make cement, building materials, or greener gas? I looked far and wide. A couple investors responded to me saying simply, there are very few. But I wanted an actual number. And finally, I found one. Across the whole world, there are like 50 that have customers and are making money. I found this all out by reaching out to a website called the Circular Carbon Network. Bizarrely, it's an initiative of the Carbon X Prize. It exists with the purpose of attracting more money to this area. Bizarrely because it feels like the competition is everywhere. Anyway, companies like Jason's just aren't that common. Money, though, isn't just hard to come by because it's a young industry. If you're looking to jump in as an entrepreneur in any new sector, this one has particular challenges, ones that make money even harder to come by. David said one reason, this stuff is hardware, a more expensive off-the-bat investment than software. Another challenge, he expects it to take longer than normal to actually become profitable. And not only is it time, but it can be quite a lot of capital because, you know, you got 10 years, you got burn rate for 10 years. It's not unusual for these things to start from the millions of dollars and move into the tens of millions of dollars. David lists a bunch of reasons, policy uncertainty, beating out competitors. Overall, though, here's my takeaway. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to put uh, CCUS startups at the very, very hard end of the scale. But for Wyoming, the draw is clear. David says if these hurdles can be overcome... Yeah, it can help the climate. But the economic potential, I find out, is massive. From a pure business standpoint, this is anticipated an enormous market. I mean, forecasts are that carbon capture utilization space will be anywhere from one to $5 trillion plus over the next several decades. All of a sudden, it made a whole lot more sense to me why Wyoming leaders brought in an accelerator in the Carbon X Prize competition why the local community is paying a firm 16000 bucks a month to market itself as Carbon Valley. If nothing else, to make this waste we're creating into not waste. They clearly want to get the ball rolling and show the world, hey, we can be a hub for this. If there are barriers to making all this viable, let's crush them. Well, for now, let's see if just one company can get a boost to their funds today. We're back in the cramped office for Jason's design review. He's basically saying, hey folks, if I don't somehow get some money here, Dimensional is gonna be real late to Wyoming. And action. If we had, you know, obviously if we had money in the bank, our project would be mm -hmm. going a lot faster, but I'm spending a certain amount of time in my day, um, you know, putting together um, uh, pitch decks and pitches for, for investors. Pregnant pause, pregnant pause. It appeared that no money would be forthcoming. It's the nature of all of yeah. It's the yeah, nature of the whole ITC, yeah. X Prize or not. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the nature of yeah what we do. Yeah, I mean, keep pushing. Um, you know, you're no further ahead than the other teams, but you're not that much further behind, to be <laughs> honest. So yeah. Um. Jason didn't push it, and before long, the meeting was over. 
Jason apparently had to run out and go pick up one of Dimensional Energy's co-founders from the airport, who I didn't even realize was coming. As usual, Jason has a lot going on. I wanted some time to unpack what just happened in the meeting, so I asked to tag along. And also because I wanted to get more time to just talk one-on-one. So the, the airport, I think it's pretty easy to find. Okay. If I can't find it, I can map. I feel like I'm sort of like... We're on the way, zooming along an empty road, passing prairie and the massive coal mines that don't make spatial sense until you see them in person. Jason thought so too. It's amazing to see how close to the surface they're actually mining coal here. I mean, <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen you know, anything like it. I mean, they just basically move the, move the grass out of the way and they're just pulling coal out of the ground, it looks like. Yeah, I mean, just driving down the road, you can pretty much see it. Yeah. This is the first opportunity I've had with Jason, and I feel somewhat anxious, like I need to take advantage of it. We've spoken so much over the phone, so in person, it's easy to chat, and I feel fine peppering him with questions. What I wanted, I just wanted to check in, see how you were feeling about getting here. It seems like there's a lot to think about with everything that's going on. And the truth comes out. I was hoping they would write a check right there on the spot. Really? Absolutely. I want to, I want to see a couple more eyebrows raise. We're coming into this $500,000 short. Um, you know, I mean, the rest of the teams came in with 500K and have a six-month head start. I, 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 I would really love to see the X Prize come through with another 500,000 for us. Um, if- Jason says the timeline to get on site is really fast, and all of a sudden, this guy who denies feeling anxiety sounds a little bit stressed. He'd probably say frustrated or forward-looking or something. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind we'd have, uh, we'd be installing on time and potentially ahead of even the other teams that have a head start on us. If if I was free from fundraising, I would be uh, more project managing right now, and that's a strength of mine. Jason says he'd probably have permits by now. Would be well on his way to finishing safety and design work for the site. Instead, he's stuck raising money, and apparently it's not going super well. The irony of raising money to do this XPRIZE installation is that all the firms I'm speaking to, you know, I've, I've spoken to a number of them already, and they knew I'd be raising a ser- Series A towards the end of 2019, and, and so raising two million seed, you know, with much of the proceeds going towards this XPRIZE installation is proving to be a lot more difficult than I thought. I thought a lot more people would use this as an organizing principle and be excited to help us de-risk the technology with this venture, but um, it's... um, Soon we arrive at the very small local airport, and I still have no idea what we're doing here. What's the name of the person we're picking up again? Uh, David Erickson. And he's... He's, um, He's one of the primary inventors on the technology. A guy named David Erickson walks over to us, who's just flown in from Ithaca, where Jason lives too. David's a professor at Cornell, in addition to being a primary inventor of this tech. Hey there. Hey, Cooper. Hi, Dave. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. So as I was mentioning, Dave here pretty well invented the reactors that we're using now. Now you finally have someone smart in the car. (laughs) Where is he? 
<laughs> and I awkwardly sit in the back of the car, just kind of hanging out as they catch up. Soon we're back at the site and I feel very pleased, feeling like this was a nice opportunity to bond a little bit with this person who I've randomly committed to for a whole series. I also enjoy how often I get in cars with strangers as a reporter. Last year, my coworkers gave me the most likely to be kidnapped award. Yes, I am proud. Now back at the site, I think about this place, the ITC, that it's mentioned in international reports about carbon capture. It's an early development, apparently. It makes me think how any of these companies are expected to be here in a few months. How tech like this is expected to help the climate, or for others, expected to help coal. It all just seems really fast. And I start to wonder, is there enough time? If you enjoyed this series, please donate to hear more storytelling and invest in Wyoming Public Media podcasts. Find the donate link at carbonvalleypodcast.org and leave us a note letting us know your contribution is for podcasting. Back to my audio purgatory, a cold Gillette day in February. But I and the other XPRIZE teams are warm and inside the integrated test center, which was built to offer a glimmer of hope for the coal industry, as I read online. Today, though, there's nothing here but ideas. Oh, and challenges of actually getting these companies off the ground. I start to ask around and see if other teams are feeling a time crunch, like Jason. I go back to Gabe, the shy PhD student with CO2 Concrete. He's been pretty frank with me so far today, so I figured he'd be honest. And yeah, he was. Do you feel comfortable where you are in the timeline? The timeline is aggressive, and always has been from the get-go. Uh, we are working to the timeline. Do you think you'll be ready by June? These are tough questions. <laughs> Once again, Jason's problems are similar to the other teams here. After all, they've got to have their scaled-up pilot technology ready to be on site as soon as June, in just a few months. It's starting to sound more likely some teams will come later in the summer. I connect with Sebastian next. He makes it clear their money problem is also a timing problem, a significant one. We talk once again inside the ITC. He says he's waiting to hear back from investors. If they are ready to fund, and I will come to know that within a couple of weeks, then we, we mostly would be able to move to Wyoming with that capacity by July, August time. That's what our expectation. June is really, really short for us. Really short for us. And one of the technical difficulty, the logistic, I mean, we are driven from India. Yeah. Okay. Are you hoping they push it back? Uh, yes, yeah. So it will be, I mean, if everything goes well, August. That is that is the best one I can promise. Teams got to be permitted, able to ship all their components to the site, then have contractors and other potential local folks in place to help out. All that's even harder for international teams. So Sebastian's hoping for a delay of the competition. Jason says he's banking on it. 
While I'm talking to everyone, I wonder how the competition is feeling about this. Are they worried that no one is ready? So I sit down once again with Marcus Extivore, the prize lead, to find out. I feel like it's unfair that I'm exhausted given how much everyone else has traveled. Oh, man. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Is what are you going to do? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, so, I just wanted to ask you, it seems like one of the things that I kind of took away, one of the through lines, one of the anxieties, two of them, were about money and time. Yeah. Um, so I guess first, what are your thoughts on that? Did that come across to you too? Those are the big issues, right? The race is on and it's a pressure cooker now. Um, today was about going through in detail what's been done and what isn't done. And all the teams have a really long list of stuff in front of them to do. That's how all of these X prizes kind of shape out. And I think this is how, you know, innovation kind of is. There's never enough money. You're worried you're gonna run out of time because you're doing something for the first time and you're got a plan in place, but you're not really sure how long it's going to take you until you get there. So in short, the burst of confidence we heard from finalists last episode is starting to disappear. The finalists are feeling the pressure because that's the point. That pressure comes from a specific place, an urgency for this tech to scale quickly, crush all those barriers we just heard about, and help the planet reach net zero emissions. Here's my question though, why is everyone so convinced this tech is so needed for climate change? I ask around and the answer feels pretty unanimous. In fact, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change or the IPCC has labeled CCUS a necessity rather than simply an option. It is very for clear at this point from the IPCC reports and other modeling that we need to take carbon out of the air. This led to renewed interest in the tech, especially after the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, released its special report on global warming last October. The IPCC is a body of the United Nations. I have about 8 million quotes like that because everyone who likes carbon capture seems to bring it up, even Jason. Basically, this report calculated scenarios of how the world can keep global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Importantly, not all of them said carbon capture was necessary. But reaching net zero emissions by the year 2050 might be really expensive without it. I asked Marcus, why has carbon capture spoken about like some skeleton key to solve the puzzle and tackle the globe's climate struggles? I bring up how young and expensive this tech is versus renewables, which are, you know, more available right now. We absolutely have to go all in on renewables, um, but even that won't be enough we have to do a few things at once. That's really what's gonna solve this. Let's say we turned off all the power stations and replaced them with wind and solar farms. That still leaves us with transportation. Okay, but let's say we electrify all the cars. Okay, great, we still have agriculture emissions. We still have manufacturing and industrial emissions to deal with. The way we make paint, the way we make rubber, steel, glass, concrete, the way we make all of our stuff, that's another kind of 40 to 50% of all of our emissions. And renewables might not be able to touch that, even in the medium term. And so if we urgently want to bring down emissions, we might not be able to wait for renewables to sort of replace all that it can. If your goal is helping the climate, folks say one of the best and unique ways carbon capture can help is by reducing emissions that are otherwise hard to get rid of, like from manufacturing cement. Here's the rub. The ability to actually do that on any meaningful scale 
is still a ways off. A major CCUS advocacy group says development is not happening even close to fast enough to meet climate goals. In the past year, literally all of CCUS tech captured one-tenth of 1% of global CO2 emissions. To meet climate goals, one report says CCUS has got to capture 8,900% more CO2 by 2050. That's a lot. Meanwhile, retrofitting plants, utilization, direct air capture, all these forms of carbon capture are still considered way too expensive and in need of major help, despite billions already invested across North America. So is there enough time? Is it worth it to put all this money into carbon capture? Of course, some say yes, others say no. But what about the famous, infamous report from the IPCC? It finds the future of CCUS is uncertain. Large-scale deployment depends on progress made in the near term. In other words, if this tech is going to help the climate, things going to happen now or never. So to Marcus, I wonder, is all this too far away to be worth it, given the massive time crunch to solve climate issues? He basically says, what do you think we're doing here? CCS and carbon utilization still remain a tiny fraction. You know, they're barely deployed around the world. There are a very small number of carbon capture facilities, and there's an even smaller number of carbon utilization facilities. Carbon capture has struggled because the technology is generally expensive. Not enough instances have been deployed to sort of ride down the cost curve. So I think as much as we talk about climate and the sort of various reasons why it's important for us to reduce CO2 emissions, nothing moves markets like profitability, lower cost, useful materials. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day who said, we can't wait for the market to sort of come to us. We have to go to the market. We have to bring materials that are just better and cheaper And oh, by the way, they also have a lower carbon footprint. That's the way these things can get scaled and deployed quickly. So it sounds like Marcus is saying, yes, it's hard. Yes, it's tiny. But if carbon capture can ever have a big impact on the climate, things got to happen now. These challenges these teams are facing aren't going to get magically easier. So might as well figure them out. I changed the tune a little bit with Marcus and focused back on the issues at hand. Given what we've heard today, I ask if a delay might just be on the table. Well, we designed the schedule the way it is for a reason. We're trying to accellerate innovation. We have this catchphrase we use at XPRIZE. We want to be audacious but achievable. We're not trying to crush anybody with the schedule because then nobody achieves anything. Um, But on the other hand, it's natural for there to be sort of a mix of timelines. Some people are really feeling the time pressure. Other people feel like, you know, maybe they're kind of on track. The reality is we we have a long way to go, over a year. But that's not a long time in sort of the time blocks of this type of project. Yeah. I mean, in Audacious and Achievable, except maybe for Jason, who did get in late. I mean, is he just at a disadvantage? Well, it was, uh, we were happy that he could rejoin, but those were sort of the ground rules under which he rejoined. We're like, look, you know, a spot is available. You will be time disadvantaged with respect to the other teams. You've got to decide if that's worth it to you. You know, it's hard to answer whether we're going to adjust our timing of the whole exercise. But what I can say is that we track it really, really carefully and are trying to make that sort of determination on kind of week by week and month by month basis. I asked again, what about an extension? Jason said he's relying on it. 
Nobody should be banking on it to extend, period. And that's not just because we sort of want to be rigid. It's because keeping to the rules as they are constructed is the fairest way for all the competitors. Now, of course, we want to be sensitive to where people are at and hearing where they come in. We have a few tricks we think we can pull that take uh, some of the burden off that aren't an outright extension. Um, there's always that consideration because people are trying to do something really hard um, and you're never quite sure if you're going to get there. That's frankly part of it. Cool. Yeah. Okay. I'm about to let you go, but before I do, I had one more discovery today, an important one. That Jason may be up against another hurdle in this story. It all started on a tour of the area outside of the ITC building, the site where companies will soon set up their tech. All bundled up, the Carbon X Prize finalists make their way outside, hard hats on. A little parking lot is to the right. We walk down a sidewalk, past the bathrooms, and through metal fences, enter a site folks have literally come from around the world to see. I think back to the website. The research at this facility will help support jobs, local and state economies. For now though, the site is just an empty dirt lot with a reddish hue. A mix of gravel and leftover snow crackles under my shoes. It is big, the size of six football fields, I learned. At the end of the lot is a fence, dividing it from the monstrously large Dry Fork Station, the coal-fired power plant. It's made up of several light blue buildings. A huge smokestack billows some emissions into the sky. Some kind of tubular shaft makes its way to the ground level. Below that is a gray pipe that sits parallel to the site, stuck behind a fence with several inputs sticking out. Those inputs, it turns out, are important. This kind of right here is what people came for. This is it. Yep, this is it. This is where they this is where they take the flue gas. Yep. Okay. That's right. That's Ray Stefano, who's with the Dry Fork Power Plant. He's a very cheerful guy with dark hair and a lightweight puff jacket. He smiles whenever I ask a question. These little inputs, Ray explains, are what makes this site so unique. Why folks have come from all over the world. Usually, a team would have to simulate flue gas, but here, they can get access to raw flue gas in all its contaminated glory. The teams are still huddled up because it's bitingly cold out. Several people are kind of sneering, presumably at the cold. I'm also holding my mic without gloves because I didn't plan ahead. Ray answers other folks' questions while Jason is off pacing around. I walk over and apparently he's looking for a spot where he could set up shop. We'd be best probably over in there. Why? Sun. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're solar driven, so um, our power needs are very minimal. Um, so we're looking for the maximum solar resource. Remember, Jason's tech is powered by the sun and it is super overcast today. There's also a big old coal plant in the sun's path. Not ideal for a company like his, apparently. It's, um, you know, for a, a sunlight-driven process, negative uh, 12 or whatever it is right now, and, uh, and a, a gray sky that reaches the earth uh, isn't ideal, but um, hopefully we'll have sunnier days. Well, we leave it at that for a second and make our way back inside. For the record, Gillette is typically a real sunny place. That's not sarcasm. Here's where I'm at. 
My hands are freezing and red, encased in two cartoon ice cubes. Vivid, huh? I find myself back at the table. Jason is at a different one, and he gets into a conversation with the cheerful power plant guy, Ray Stefano. Jason explains that if the sun ain't shining, their demonstration tech could only run at like 20% efficiency. So the sun is kind of important. Ray speaks first here. Uh, yeah, are we? Sh is, does the plant shade you at peak times? Or yeah. I don't have any it's funny, there's actually a paper I can share with you. Uh, Marcus knows about it, but uh. someone kind of wrote this article about how the, the carbon X prize is selected against photocatalytic processes. Just because of the, the square footage, we're gathering all of our energy on site, whereas other folks are plugging in, you know, so if you're an electrochemical cell, you can just plug into that 480. And, and pull all the power you need. So you don't need to generate, you don't need to have like a solar, you don't need your solar array off, you know, in that 2,000 square meter space. Like, like we're So basically, Jason is saying the fact that the site is limited at all is a disadvantage. And there's a paper about it? Well, Ray says, do what you can with what you have. But I'm here thinking, there's a literal paper about this about how Jason's brand of carbon capture is disadvantaged with the XPRIZE, that the site we were just on puts them at a disadvantage. Because as we published in that paper, you can't get enough energy in, in, that, in the land-restricted area. That's Ellen Stetchel, the co-author of the aforementioned paper. I reached out to her after hearing about this. Ellen's got a big personality, short hair, and an easy laugh. She co-directs a program at Arizona State University focused on renewables. Before the Carbon X Prize was launched, Ellen participated in brainstorming sessions with the competition. And even back then, she says she was pointing out the challenges to X Prize of a solar company entering. Ellen actually considered entering with her own solar fuel tech, but it didn't happen. The ways the rules were written, it seemed that we could not possibly qualify, so we didn't try. We did try to have discussions with XPRIZE, didn't get anywhere. They said, yeah, they, they knew, and, and okay, <laughs> that's right. That's the best they could do. I later asked the XPRIZE competition for a response on this and didn't get one. Basically, without getting too in-depth here, Ellen says there isn't enough space to really be able to take advantage of solar. Because remember that dirt lot? Ellen says it wouldn't be enough for solar to generate the power needed. For Jason, it's less of a problem because they're not using the typical, very spacious solar panels that you might see on a roof. They're using a sort of parabolic dish, like you might see from a cable company. But it's still a problem because there's a massive facility in the way. And they can't maneuver to the best possible location for solar potential. They can only set up shop on that dirt lot. Hence why Jason was walking around looking. And then there's the other problem which Ellen also lays out in her paper. This one feels to me bigger. It also raised a lot more questions. Based off of the guidelines on their website, judges will not consider, at least explicitly, the net reduction in emissions from each team's demonstration. In other words, Jason's biggest advantage may not be considered by judges. If you're not using direct solar, you're using some energy source. And then if that energy source is coming from the grid in Wyoming, which is heavily coal, 
then there's a lot of embedded CO2 emissions from the energy you use. And overall, we need to know from source to sink, what is the net emissions of CO2 that have been avoided? So where that energy comes from is very important. And you can wipe out all your gains if you don't ensure you're using renewable energy for the entire process. And so accounting for, in the end, have you really done anything? <laughs> have you net avoided any emissions? Whoa. I mean, that seems important, right? One of Jason's biggest advantages in this competition may not actually be considered by the judges. His tech could actually reduce emissions more than any other team, but if he's not creating the highest value product or swallowing up the most CO2, it won't matter. That could be true of any of the teams, frankly. I really tried to nail down if there was some sort of other way XPRIZE might account for that and ask the competition, but I didn't receive a response. I asked Jason because this seems like a big deal, and he thinks they will consider it, but isn't sure. Based on their website, it is not a part of the judges' criteria for choosing the winning company. Instead, they're choosing the winner primarily based on how much carbon dioxide they can convert, which is one part of the net emissions equation. And then they're considering the net value of products, you know, how much the thing you make is actually worth. Those will be given some kind of number grade. Then there's a pass-fail based on a certain amount of land and water usage. I say it's very interesting that Dimensional Energy, who I don't think can meet the criteria, is a finalist. And it's uh, nice that there is one direct seller, but I, I still think they're disadvantaged. <laughs> this interview raised an important question for me. Despite all this climate talk, it sounds like the winner will be chosen based more on economic value than total climate impact. Again, I asked XPRIZE about this specifically and did not receive a response. Talking to Ellen raised a larger question too. Does carbon capture automatically equal helping the climate? Is all tech created equally? One professor told me, no, it's a waste management problem. That using it for products won't do enough. We just gotta suck it up and store it underground. And what if it's captured, turned into a fuel, and then just burned again? Ellen says that's not necessarily doing much. Net reduction, in other words, has to be the priority if the goal is truly helping the climate in order to begin approaching net zero emissions. And we're not on track. We need to get to net neutral by 2050. And that's actually mind-boggling decreases. It's like, I don't know, 5% a year. <laughs> uh, we might be on track for 5% in a decade. <laughs> We'll dig much deeper into this sticky wicket in next episode. For now, I'll leave you with this. Jason and Dimensional Energy may be at a disadvantage in this competition. There's a lot of hope that carbon capture can help the climate, but it's still a long ways off from contributing on a large scale. We started to hear why folks in the climate world think that's worth it. But I still wonder, why do Wyoming leaders, why does coal country think it's worth it? Is there enough time for this tech to help coal? 
Also, why would it? Next time on Carbon Valley. I take a visit to coal country and learn how carbon capture ever became an answer to the state's woes. Maybe we should have been talking about this five years ago. But I, I think it's out of sight, out of mind thing. We also dig into whether carbon capture can be an answer for coal production. Is it going to save the industry? Is it the silver bullet? No. All that in part four. The show is produced by Noah Greenspan and me, Cooper McCamp. Anna Rader is our digital producer. Aaron Jones is senior producer. And we have production assistance from Micah Schweitzer and Chet Lewis. Our theme music is by Mark Juliana with the music you're hearing now by Vegas. Carbon Valley is a production of Wyoming Public Media. I'm grateful you're covering this because I think it's such an important story for Wyoming and for the coal industry and for this notion of, uh, you know, these, these great competitions that XPRIZE present. If you like what you're hearing, and even if you don't, we would love to hear about it. Take a moment right now to leave a rating or review on your podcast app. It'll help new listeners discover Carbon Valley so we can keep bringing you stories about one state's economic future.